Well, if you have your Bible uh, this morning, I'd like to ask you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. And I want to ask you a question this morning, how is your relationship with the Lord? I realize that I'm speaking in a seminary this morning, but are you walking in victory or in defeat? Are you regularly reading your Bible? I understand that you're probably reading a lot of theology, but I didn't ask you whether or not you're reading Wayne Grudem. I asked you if you're reading the Word of God. I, I want to know if you're regularly praying and what your prayer life looks like. Are you serving Jesus and are you sharing Jesus? Is there any hidden, unconfessed sin in your heart and in your life? Are you living like hell and expecting to go to heaven? See, these kinds of sobering questions help us very quickly get, uh, evaluate our spiritual fitness. And, and many of us here today need a spiritual fitness test. You might be passing all your tests in Greek and in Hebrew, but that doesn't mean that spiritually that you are fit. And for some of you this morning, you need to join God's gym. Maybe you've become spiritually flabby and you're easily winded in your walk with the Lord. And so we need to get our head in the game and along with the Apostle Paul decide that we are in it to win it. And so listen to what the Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Eight miles outside the city of Corinth, on a narrow strip of land, the isthmus that separated the Peloponnese from mainland Greece, there was a place where athletes would compete every two years. Uh, there, because of the isthmus there, it was called the Isthmian Games. And, and uh, athletes from all around the Greek city-states would gather there to compete in various games. They were only surpassed in popularity by the Olympian Games. And Paul, being familiar with that custom and with this event, begins to use an illustration for them of the Christian life. And he describes this to remind them that every Christian is called to the race and every Christian is called to the ring. Now, I want you to think about it. The, the, every believer, if you're here today and you're a Christian, if you're a believer, uh, every believer is called to the race. And notice here he gives them a challenge. He says, do you not know that all who run in the race all run. That, that Greek word there for race is the word stadium, stadium, and it is where we get our English word stadium. And as we think about that, what Paul is saying here is, is he's speaking about uh, the stadium in which the runners would run. There was a 630-foot track there on that isthmus. In fact, if you go there today, you can still see the starting blocks where the runners would begin the race. And he's using this to describe the fact that we're all in this race in the Christian life. And a race is always a fitting metaphor for the Christian life. And not only does the Apostle Paul use it, but also the writer of Hebrews uses this same metaphor when he says, therefore, 
We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Christian life is a race in many ways because there is a finish line. Just as in a race, there is a finish line. As in a race, you are always to be moving forward and never backwards. In a race, you are to keep your eyes on that which is ahead and not that which is behind. In a race, you have to set aside any weight that might hold you back and any encumbrance that might trip you up. In the same way, in a race, it requires endurance. And as in a race, the Christian life offers a reward. And so he says there to run in such a way that you may win the prize. Now, there's a couple of dangers that we have when we read this passage of misunderstanding the illustration that he's making when he speaks about running to win a prize. Uh, The Apostle Paul is not saying that only one Christian is going to be rewarded or that only one person is going to receive eternal life. That would be pushing the metaphor too far. We can know this, though. If you run well, you will be rewarded. Everyone who runs well in the Christian life will be rewarded. But the thing is, if you're going to receive the ultimate reward, which is eternal life, you must be in the race. You see, there are a lot of people who say, well, your life is a race, but they're not actually in the race. Because if you go back and you study about these Greek games, in order to run in the race, originally you had to be Greek. Uh, entrance into the race, there was the qualification of birth. You had to be born Greek. Now later, the Romans, after conquering uh, Greece, forced their way into the games. But initially, it was by birth. And in the same way, to be in the Christian race, in in the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, you have to be in Christ Jesus. It is by birth, not by the first birth, but by the rebirth. You must be born again. Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I would not take it for granted that just because you're sitting here in a seminary chapel on a Tuesday morning that you're saved. I would assume the vast majority of you are, but many people have entered the ministry without meeting Jesus Christ personally. And that is the first thing that we have to do is to know Jesus Christ to be in the race. And so I hope you've done that. And if you've done that, you will receive eternal life. But notice here as we think about this challenge, he says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. That phrase, obtain it, that just means that you may win it, that you may receive the reward. My question to you today is, are you in it to win it, are you in the Christian life to give it everything that you have, to give your total devotion to Jesus Christ and to serve him in all that you do? Many Christians that I've met in my church are satisfied to start the race, but they're not satisfied to succeed in the race. They want to begin something, but they don't want to succeed. They, they want to make sure they're saved, but, but they don't want to go and grow all the way to the finish line. They're like people who say, I'm glad I made the team. I'm glad I get to wear the jersey, but they sit on the bench for the rest of the season and don't care. But we have to be in it to win it. We, we don't necessarily, we won't necessarily be the best at everything. I have a daughter who's in swim, and she's doing uh, swim competitions now. And I told her a few weeks ago when she had her very first meet, I said, Rachel, you don't have to be the best, but you have to try your best. You don't have to be the best, but you have to do the best that you can do. And, and we've not, many people just want to come, they don't ever want to come to practice. They don't ever want to make progress. 
Their lives are characterized by complacency, by laziness, and by apathy. There are churches that want to gather to meet, but not to make disciples. As we think about what the Apostle Paul is telling us, he says in verse 24 that every Christian should try to win. But not only should we try to win, the challenge is that we should, tra- we should train to win. He says in verse 25, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. He's speaking about training because anyone who has been engaged in any kind of athletics, you know that there is an exercise of self-control that you must go through as you train to win. If you wanted to participate in the Isthmian Games, I've read that it took at least a 10-month commitment to train for those games. Today, we know there are many people who compete in the Olympics, and it's more than 10 months. It's a lifetime commitment. It begins at a very early age, and it is giving them, they give it everything they have every day of their life, year after year. What they're doing is they are making their decisions today based on their goal for tomorrow. And in the Christian life, if we're going to be temperate in all things, that means that we make our decisions today based on tomorrow's realities. We must live with eternal values in view. That means we have to restrain and suppress our appetites. You don't train for a triathlon by sitting on your couch, drinking Dr. Pepper, and eating potato chips and bowls of ice cream. That's not how you get ready to run a marathon or compete in a triathlon. Instead, you go to bed early, and you get up early, and you limit how much you eat and what you eat, and you go to the gym, and and you build up your endurance. You, You have resistance in your life so that your muscles get stronger. There needs to be both self-discipline and self-denial. I think there's a difference between those things, self-discipline and self-denial. Self-discipline is doing what you don't want to do. Having the self-discipline to go to the gym and to sweat and to train. In the Christian life, it's having the discipline to read your Bible, to study the Scripture, to memorize the Word of God, to, to pray and to go to church. And also it means that you have to practice self-denial. Self-denial is not doing that which you do want to do. Denying the self. It means that there are going to be certain bodily cravings, certainly certain cravings of our sinful flesh that we must say no to. Illicit pleasures and overeating and exercising in 1 Corinthians our so-called liberty in a way that would harm others. And so Paul speaks about the challenges of the Christian race. But notice also he says in verse 25, he speaks of the crown that we receive in the Christian race. He says, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. An ancient runner who won the prize would receive a laurel wreath. Sometimes it was made of pine. But if you know anything about cut plants, you know that as soon as the crown was placed upon the victor's head, it was already in the process of dying. It was already dead. Very quickly, that which they had trained so long for would begin to become brown and dry and brittle, and it would crumble and fall apart. Today, we have Olympic athletes who train to receive gold or silver or bronze, and while they may have more lasting value, they can so easily become lost 
But here Paul says that we train for an imperishable crown. An imperishable crown. And I think about what Paul said when he said that for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of the life which is to come. So often in our lives, we look at good things. Maybe it's our athletic abilities. Perhaps it's our academic abilities. The degrees that are hanging on our walls. The size of our ministry. The size of our family. We, we look at these good things and we evaluate our self-worth before God and our success in life based upon those good things. But we never allow a good thing to take the place of a greater thing, an imperishable crown, which we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. My question for you is, are you working for an imperishable crown? And here's how you evaluate that, very plain and simple. Ask yourself, and what, I do, what am I doing now that will make a difference in eternity? What am I doing now that's going to make a difference in eternity? Can I just speak very plainly to you? If you want to know what the greatest reward that a Christian can win... When I speak about a crown, a reward, obviously we know that eternal life is the one thing that we have to have through having Jesus. If you have Christ, you have eternal life. But the fact that if we know people who are coming to know Christ through our, through our sharing of the gospel, through the testimony of our life, that is the eternal crown that we all need to be striving for. And if you don't believe me, then believe the Apostle Paul who says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19, for what is our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? See, the Apostle Paul understood that those that he had been able to reach with the gospel through his faithfulness to share and to serve Jesus, that those individuals were his crown. His crown was not a crown to be placed upon his head. It was to see that his life had made an eternal difference. I'm afraid there are many people, and they may attend seminary, they may be in our pews or in our pulpits, who have no desire to see people come to know Jesus Christ. And that is an absolute shame. If we've read the New Testament, we can never be satisfied if our lives aren't making an eternal difference. My grandfather grew up in a small mill village in South Carolina named, called Newry, South Carolina. And some of you, I've met a couple of uh, students before the chapel who are from North Carolina and Georgia. And if you know anything about mill hills in the south, back many years ago, there were these textile plants. And the mill, the cotton mill, owned everything in town. They owned the stores. uh, They owned the churches. They owned everything. And my grandfather grew up in what is called a union church. If you go to Newry, South Carolina, there's this little white church that's no longer a church, but at that time, back in the 1930s and 40s, it was a church, and the Baptists would sit on one side of the church, and the Methodists sat on the other. And one Sunday, the Baptist preacher came, and the next week, the Methodist preacher would come and preach. And my grandfather always joked that when he was a kid, that the Baptists would stand up and sing an old hymn that many of you probably don't even know anymore, but uh, will there be any star, or the Methodists, excuse me, would sing, will there be any stars in my crown? And he said then the Baptists would stand up and sing the hymn, no, not one. (laughs) 
But as we think about that, I, I imagine that if many people today, and when we get to heaven, that many people, even who've preached the gospel and who said they preached the gospel, they have not had the heart for evangelism, and there will be no stars in your crown. Live your life to serve Jesus and to share Jesus so that you can face the challenge, you can receive the crown, and that you can do so with confidence. Look in verse 26. He says, therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. The Christian life is a race that demands endurance. It is taxing and it is tough, but everyone who endures to the end will be saved. Paul could run with un, with, not with uncertainty but with certainty how can you run the christian race with certainty i don't want anyone to hear this message this morning and think that i'm saying that your success that your eternal life is dependent upon how hard you push you see the reason we can run with certainty is because jesus christ has already crossed the finish line that my hope is anchored within the veil, that Jesus Christ has already finished the race for me. That's why he says in Hebrews 12, the apostle who writes that letter says, let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author, that is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because Jesus Christ has, is seated at God's right hand, at the Father's hand, he is able to help as a high priest all those who come to him and all those who look to him in faith. Because he's crossed the finish line, I'm confident that I will. And I'm confident that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, as Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you We'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So keep running. Stay in the race because the believer is called to the race. There's a second thing I want you to notice. The believer is also called to the ring. In verse 26, he switches from the metaphor of running, the metaphor of the race, to the metaphor of the ring, of boxing. He says, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Fighting, like running, is an appropriate metaphor of the Christian life, for in the New Testament we find several times that with this metaphor, and not only with the armor of God, but in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight. But how do you fight the fight of faith? Well, there's the requirement of discipline. He says, I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body to bring it into subjection. A runner has to exercise self-control and commitment to stay in the race, but now Paul speaks of the boxer who must exercise that same kind of self-control and tenacity and commitment to staying in the ring. Just as you have to keep running when you get tired, you have to keep fighting even when you get weary. Ancient boxing is much, was much different than modern-day boxing. We think about the fact that today a, a boxer is going to wear padded gloves, but in the ancient world he would wear leather strips on his wrist. Often they were studded with metal. And it was a very brutal sport. Uh, Modern-day boxing for many years had 15 rounds, but in 1982, after the death of a fighter, it was reduced to 12 rounds. But whether it's 15 rounds or 12 rounds, it requires a great deal of stamina and a great deal of strategy and strength. Most of what we know about boxing comes from watching Rocky or one of the eight other Rocky movies that came out after that. 
maybe somebody can double check me on, fact check me on, I think there were nine movies total in that, that theme. But as we think about what you see from watching Rocky, you understand a little bit what he means when he talks about beating the air. Now understand what beating the air means. It doesn't just refer to wasting time, because if you're a boxer and you throw a punch and you miss your opponent, think about what's happened there. You, first of all, if you're going 12 or 15 rounds, every punch counts. You have expended energy that has been wasted. On top of that, you've done nothing productive. You've missed your opponent. But now here's the other thing about it. Because you've missed your opponent, now your arm's outstretched. You're opening yourself up to a devastating counterpunch. And in the same way, we don't need to waste anything in our Christian life. Now, who is it that we're fighting? Hey, this is the really interesting thing. As we read here in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul's talking about this fight that he's engaged in. He's talking about this warfare that he's, he's waging. And who's he fighting? He's fighting himself. And notice there that he says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. The King James says, but I keep under my body. Or I buffet my body. I, I hit under the eye. We're in a boxing match, but our opponent is ourselves. Can I tell you that the greatest enemy that David Crowther has to David Crowther's sanctification in Jesus Christ is David Crowther? That my own sinful flesh is my greatest enemy in obedience to doing what God has called me to do? You know, Paul's goal was very clear. He had a missionary's heart. He wanted to reach people for Christ. He wanted to glorify God in his body. Think about what he's saying here, that with his own body that he's wanting to glorify God with and reach a lost world with, that any sin in his flesh can hinder and hamper his ability to do that. Dr. Branch and I were talking over supper last night about all the moral failures of pastors that have strewn our convention and we look around and we think of all the different men and people who have fallen into moral failure we we're talking about how is it that you go as a parent and tell your little girl oh pastor who baptized you can't be here anymore because he did something wrong Begin to look into your own heart and realize that you can be your own enemy, not only in your personal sanctification, but in your goal of spreading and sharing the gospel to others. See, our bodies make wonderful slaves, but they're terrible masters. Ask yourself, in the way that you live, are your decisions controlling your body? Or is it that your body is controlling your decisions? Who's driving your life, your faith or your flesh? Your flesh will tell you to sleep. Your flesh will tell you, don't study. When faith is saying, study this text, understand what it means, your flesh is saying, hey, you, you can find that sermon on the internet. When your faith is saying, get in the word and study to show thyself approved unto God. 
not ashamed. Your flesh will say, you know what, if it feels good, do it. When your faith is saying, be faithful to your spouse, keep yourself before the Lord. Your flesh will say, I know you're depressed, eat, drink. Your faith will say, honor the Lord with what you put in your body. Decide that your faith is in control of your life and not your flesh. Practice self-control. Practice discipline. Don't strike the air. Make every punch count. Now, we fight our flesh, but we also fight, according to 1 John, the, 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 uh, the flesh, but also the world and the devil. Many years ago, there was a preacher. Some of you probably, uh, you can Google him. I'm not going to tell you that he's an uh, expository preacher. He's not. But his name was J. Harold Smith. You remember J. Harold Smith, Dr. Allen? God's three deadlines. And uh, when I was a kid growing up, my grandfather had J. Harold Smith come and preach a revival. And this white-haired man came, and he preached like a madman. He had these black glasses on, and he got up there. But I never will forget, he made this statement. I was, I was a kid. I just said, hey, please sign my Bible. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I, 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 but I was so impressed with this guy. And, uh, but ever he, he said one time, he was talking, and he said, you know what? He said, as long as I got fists, I'm going to punch the devil. As long as I got feet, I'm going to kick the devil. And as long as I got teeth, I'm going to bite the devil. And when I ain't got no more teeth, I'm going to gum him. <laughs> I think back about that. That man had a spirit. If he said, I'm going to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I believe every child of God, every Christian ought to have that same attitude because there's the requirement of discipline and there's the risk of disqualification. He says, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. The King James says, I myself should become a castaway. That translation has unfortunately led many people to believe that you can lose your salvation. But that's not what he's saying. In fact, in John chapter 6, excuse me, in verse 37, Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Now, being a castaway doesn't refer to salvation. It refers to service. Some of you maybe remember a movie by Tom Hanks a number of years ago called Castaway. And the movie, if you didn't see it, you don't need to watch it, but I'll just tell you what it was about. It was about a man who was on a FedEx plane. It crashed in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and he was a castaway on an island. He was removed from society. Life went on, but he wasn't part of it. And I believe that is a fitting illustration of what Paul is saying when he says, lest I should become a castaway lest I should disqualify myself, is that there are some people who are saved, but they live in such a way is that God cannot use you, or at least God will not use you. Because you have sin in your life, God has taken you, and he will put you on a shelf, and you are disqualified from service. There may be some of you here, you may be leading this class. You may be uh, the, an expert in Greek or in Hebrew. But the way that you live morally is disqualifying yourself. And you say, what can I do? I'm, I'm just getting started, and I've already disqualified myself. Let me tell you what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. If you've got sin in your life today, then you need to ask God to cleanse you and forsake your sin and look to him, and then you can be useful for the master. You may be in sin, but you don't have to stay there. You may have compromised in some area of your life, but you don't have to keep compromising. 
My prayer for myself and my prayer for you all, even though I don't know you by name, is that you would finish well. My prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that me, nor none of you, would be the next Baptist Press headline. In 1968, a Tanzanian runner named John Stephen Aquari ran in the Olympic marathon in Mexico City. During the race, a group of runners jockeying for position ran in or bumped into Aquari, and he fell and he severely injured his knee. He also dislocated a joint and his shoulder was injured, and other runners sped past him as he lay on the ground. He was only 12 miles into the 26-mile event. The winner crossed the finish line, followed by 56 others. The medal ceremony was moved to another location. The arena began to clear out, and lights began to be shut off. But about an hour and 20 minutes after the winner had crossed the finish line, the TV crews heard that there was still a man in the race, and they returned to the stadium to see a quarry crossing the finish line. One of the reporters said, Mr. Aquari, why did you continue running? He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start this race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish this race. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ did not simply come from heaven to earth just so that you could be eternally saved. He did, but he also came so that you could effectively serve. And I want to finish well. And I may fall down at times in my Christian life, but I want to keep getting back up. I may look bloodied, and I may look bruised, and I may look broken. But listen, if I'll keep my eyes on Jesus Christ who has finished the race before me, and if you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ who has finished the race before you, you will cross the finish line. Stay in the race. Stay in the ring. Don't age out. Don't quit. Keep stride. Keep swinging. Serve Christ and share Christ. As Churchill said, never, never, never quit. Stay with it and don't stop until you have crossed the finish line. Stay with it through every round. Yes, it's tough. Yes, it's taxing. Temptation is tough, but you'll get beaten up. But so did Jesus. You're not dead yet, so don't stop until you finish. May you one day be able to say with the Apostle Paul, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Father God, we thank you for the fact that we can be here today. God, we thank you for that opportunity to be in a place where your word is honored in a school where your word is taught. And Lord, this school is built upon the foundation of the word of God. But God, we know that today that there are young men and there are young women here who are in a battle. We're all in a battle in this life. Lord, we're always fighting sin, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Lord, we ask that you would help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed upon you. Lord, help us because we know that you who began the good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, keep us from ever shaming you with our lives. In Christ's name, amen.